As the children are dismissed, I'd invite you to turn with me again to Second John. Uh, so if you have a copy of God's Word, Second John, if you go to the last book of the Bible and just move forward a couple books, Revelation, Jude, Third John, then Second John. Uh, it is one of the shorter, maybe the shortest book of the Bible. I didn't confirm that, but it is certainly a short book of the Bible. And so we're going to preach the whole book uh, this morning, all 13 verses uh, of Second John. It's already been read. Would you join me again in a brief word of prayer before we uh, move through this passage here together? Father God, we thank you again uh, for the opportunity to look into your word. And as we look here, I pray that you would use your word to accomplish your purposes, to, to quiet our hearts, to confirm the truth to us to draw those who uh, are not yet yours uh, into a relationship with their creator through faith in Christ alone. Accomplish now your good purposes through this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Second John helps us ask and really answer the question, what kind of church do we want to be? What kind of church do we, First Baptist, want to be what kind of church are we but really what kind of church are we going to be uh and this this letter i think reminds us of what we saw over and over again in first john and what we see in the gospel of john and john is really known for this this is his reputation which is teaching on love And there's a love for neighbor, and John is especially talking about what we could call love for one another or love for fellow Christians. This is family love, spirit within the spiritual family. It's all over the letter. It was all over First John. It's it's all over Second John. He commends and commands love for one another. Look again at verse 5 and 6. Tim just read these, but just kind of zoom in here on 2 John verse 5. Now I ask you, dear lady, and then jump down to the end of the verse, that we love one another. Right? That's the question. That's the exhortation. Verse 6, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments, and this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you would walk in it. So he's saying, obey Christ, and Christ's central command is love for one another. Practically loving others for their spiritual good. We talked about this in, in second or in first John. But there's another theme, and this is where it kind of maybe surprises us. So there's the theme of love, let us love one another. But there's another theme in Second John, and this is the theme of truth. And in particular, he's going to say, we as Christians must not offer, we'll use the word hospitality, we'll explain that in a minute, to anyone and everyone who professes to be Christians. So he says, love one another, but don't offer hospitality to all Christians. So then we stand back and say, okay, help me put this together, right? Love one another, but not those people like that. Fellowship, he's going to say, with those who profess Christianity but don't embrace the truth, orthodox, apostolic message of the Bible. Fellowship with them is prohibited. 
It says you don't have fellowship. You cannot have fellowship with them. So for John, love, as important as it is for John, you think about John, you probably think about love early on. We think about the gospel and the letters. For, for John, love, as important as it is in his understanding of the Christian life, is the Bible's view, it does not trump truth. Of course, in our culture today, many believe that love trumps truth. So you can ignore the truth or maybe downplay the truth in the name of love. And that's seen as, as virtuous, as really loving. In fact, some would say that claims to truth are really just kind of secret ways, sneaky ways of power, using power to suppress others. Of course, if that is true, it certainly has been in history, that kind of suppression of others with the truth is the opposite of love. But John says, okay, let's frame it a little differently. Truth and love are inseparable. They are wed together. They cannot be pulled apart. So love doesn't trump truth. So truth isn't the opposite of love. Emphasizing truth isn't unloving. Biblically, you can't have truth without love. And then note this in particular. You can't truly love without the truth. So it's not loving to encourage someone to turn from the truth or to allow them to persist in error or in the deception of sin. So we can't truly love without truth. That's what John's going to say. So we need this message today. It's a countercultural message in this letter. He's going to call the church through this letter, us today, through the word, to love one another again and again. But then he's going to clarify. It is unloving to welcome so-called Christians who are false teachers and who are spreading their lies. Why? Because truth and love are inseparable. So we, we must not, we cannot jettison the truth or kind of move it to the background in the name of Christian love. Truth and love go together. So, what is the setting for 2 John? Well, it's largely the same as 1 John, right? There's false teachers. And they're having an impact on the church, on the local church. And its leaders. Some of these false teachers have, have left and they've taken some with them. The false teaching seems to be the same. Look at, look at verse 7 in 2 John. 2 John verse 7. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. That sounds almost exactly like 1 John 2.19. And, and then he continues. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. So they're not acknowledging Christ's full humanity. We saw this back in 1 John chapter 4. We would today view these people as kind of itinerant preachers. They were missionaries for error. Right? They, they were going around seeking to spread their false teaching. So it seems like they were the similar or same teachers with a similar message. And so he gives a similar answer. Remember that truth and love go together. 
They cannot be separated. But one implication is that you will need to separate. Because truth and love cannot be separated, there will be times where you will need to separate in love from those who are still claiming Christ and teaching error, denying the truth about Christ. I want to look at this letter, brief letter, 13 verses with you under two points here, both about the local church, both helping us think through what kind of church do we want to be? First, the local church is centered around love and truth. The local church is centered around love and truth. And then point number two, which we'll see in a minute, the local church is protected by vigilance and separation. So the local church is centered around truth or love and truth or truth and love. And it's protected by vigilance and separation. So point number one here, the local church is centered around the truth. We see this especially in the first six verses. So as he begins writing there in verse one, the elder, I think this is a reference to John, to the elect lady and her children. Who is that? Should we picture a mom? Should we picture a mom and her, her children? I think this is a reference to a local church and, and its members. Now, that local church could have met in a home, which was common. And maybe that home was owned by, by a lady. And so there's maybe a, a both and in those two views. But the, the commands, the instructions in this letter sound exactly like we found in chapter or in 1 John, which was addressed to the local church. We have other examples in the New Testament where believers, uh, a group of believers are are called, addressed, sometimes a, a wife or a bride or a mother. This language is elsewhere in scripture. And then I think verse 13 kind of tips the scale for me. He ends by saying, the children of your elect sister greet you. I don't think John's writing to a lady to give greetings from a lady. I think he's saying, man, I, I'm, I'm representing a local church and we're greeting you and your local church. Uh, this dear, these dear sister, uh, brothers and sisters in, in Christ. So how does he refer to them? Look, look back at verse 1. Whom I love in the truth. They're in the truth. That is, they're continuing to a right doctrine, affirm the truth about Jesus. They're clinging to the truth. He loves them. And not only, but also all who know the truth. So there's a commonality in the truth within those, uh, within and between local, local churches. Verse 2, he continues to talk about the truth, right? And he, so he's affirming them. Same tone, same purpose as First John. He's affirming them that they are indeed in the truth. These false teachers probably made them think that they're not in the truth. False teachers were saying, well, we have the truth. We get the message from the Spirit. We got the inside scoop. And John wants to assure these believers that no, no, you are in the truth. So he gives them this greeting. Look at verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace be, uh, will be with us. A little different than normal New Testament greetings where we maybe read something like, may grace, mercy, and peace be with you. But here he says, no, it will be with us. He's emphasizing this. This is, this is yours. And it's not just you. It's, it's us. You're part of the larger community marked by truth, marked by love which John is a part of. He, he, there's an usness to the church, he's saying. We're in this together. What a reassurance he gives them. 
So despite what the false teachers are saying, grace and mercy and peace will be with them. Maybe they're not feeling those things. Despite what the false teachers are saying, they're part of the same community of love with us. They have the true identity of Jesus. They got that right. Look at the end of verse 3. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. What an affirmation that Jesus Christ is indeed fully, fully God and fully man. And then he ends his blessing as he began. Experience this grace or truth, rather, and love. So John doesn't separate here what, what God has joined. Truth and love. He doesn't write to the church and say, you're the loving group, aren't you? You're the loving people. Or he doesn't say, no, you're the truth people. That's who you are. No, he, he, won't, he won't allow them. He won't allow us to separate those things. All those who know the truth love. And their love bears testimony to their having the truth. So how, how will we be known as a church? Are we the truth church? Or the, a loving church? Let's not believe the lie we have to choose. We can't. We have to be both, don't we? We must be both. Departing from the truth isn't a step towards love. It's actually a, a leap away from it. Leaving the truth isn't, isn't loving because the apostolic message which they had heard from the beginning, 1 John, is the only context out of which one can truly love another. To share the truth about Jesus. So we then live in accordance with, he uses this language of walking in accordance with the truth. Look down at verse 4. He's rejoicing that some of your children have walked in the truth. What does it mean to, to walk in the truth? Well, in this context, it, it starts with love for others. So loving others is an indication that one is walking in the truth. That one really knows the love of God through, through Christ. So again, remember our progression, right? We have God's love and then we have salvation through Christ and then love for God's love is made visible in salvation through Christ. And our love for God is made visible in our love for others. And he's saying, these things must be held together. They go together. He's reinforcing their commitment to the truth. This love for others, the fourth stop in the progression, is walking in the truth. And so he says, man, that, that brings me so much joy. It just brings me so much joy to, to know that you all are loving one another. You all are remaining faithful to the apostolic message, to the good news of Jesus. What a way to encourage someone. We can learn here from, from John in Second John verse 4. Parents, I say this to myself and, and to you all. What would it look like for us to talk like this to our children? I, I see your love for your siblings. That brings me so much joy. Just to encourage them. To talk like this to one another. Man, I so enjoy seeing the way you and your husband love others in our church. What encouragement it is to see you love 
like that, to live out the gospel like that, to speak and affirm love in categories of joy. What a joy it is to see Christians loving others, to walk in the truth. Notice down in verse 6, at the end there, he brings it up again, so that we should walk in it. And I think the it there again is the truth. Walking in the truth is vital. And he's going to say, because, verse 7, there's deceivers, there's false teachers. So you have to remain faithful. And you, don't, you need to not just affirm it, but live it out. We noted verse 5 already, the central kind of command in the first half of the letter. It's really just a strong request. It's the request that they love one another. Of course, Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. We've seen this time and time again. The local church is to be marked by, characterized by, centered around truth and and love. A love for, for those in leadership. A love for those serving behind the scenes. A love for those who are on the outskirts, on the edges of our, of our gatherings. Those who slip in and slip out. Uh, a love for, for all. An encouraging love. A caring love. An initiating love. Wherever you are, whoever you are in our, in our gatherings, if you're part of our church, I want to encourage you to take initiative with this. I'll just kind of wait back. Man, I hope someone loves me. I wish someone would love me better. Don't be a spectator as we try to obey 2 John verse 5. Wouldn't you want to be a part of a local church marked by love? That centers itself around love? Let's be this kind of church more and more by God's grace. And of course, this, this language of we and us this is just dear children language from, from 1 John, right? This is family language. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, we see that as the letter begins and ends. But when we think about loving family, we remember that loving family can actually be some of the hardest loving we're called to. I think especially maybe as, as we get older, we assume that that family member, that's just the way they are. They're not going to change. Some things are best avoided. How can we fight against that in the church? Maybe the longer you've been in this church, the easier it is for you to think you know people or assume people are doing all right. Don't allow familiarity to lessen your love. So walking in the truth, specifically here in 2 John verses 1 through 6, looks like loving one another, obeying Jesus' command to love. Let's move now to our second point. First, we saw the local church is centered around love and truth. Those words are repeated over and over in the beginning of the Letter here, but secondly, now the local church is protected by vigilance and separation. Vigilance and separation. Uh, years ago, I had the opportunity to spend a summer up in uh, Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. So, this is just outside of Halifax. Maybe some of you have been to Halifax. If you have, you've probably been to, they call it the Citadel, the fort there in Halifax. 
And if you recall, it's up on a hill overlooking the city and, the, and really the harbor. And you have Halifax on one side, Dartmouth on the other. And, and this fort was to kind of guard the harbor. And don't ask me which war or why. I just don't remember. But I remember the citadel. It was up high, overlooking, and it was surrounded by fields. And of course, now it's a park and you can go tour it. It's a historical kind of setting. But, but why is that? Well, vigilance and separation, that's why, right? You, there had to be a distance between the fort and anyone who was approaching. You could see them coming. There was some separation, but there was vigilance as well. That kind of twin image, I think, is getting at what, what John emphasized in the second half of this letter. So if we are going to lovingly affirm the truth, we're going to have to be vigilant because there's these deceivers, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But we're, there's also going to, at times, going to look like separating from some. So we cannot welcome you and your teaching. Though you wave the flag of Christian, your life and your doctrine do not line up. And so we actually need to separate from you. And why that is so important. Point number two. Christian local church here is... Uh, protected by vigilance and separation. So defense, defense number one is vigilance. We'll see this in verses 7 through 9. Vigilance. First, in verse 7, we see that this is required because false teachers are described as deceivers. Deceivers. Verse 7, for, here's the reason now, many deceivers have gone out into the world. I think he's drawing the implication from verse 6 that the way to avoid being taken in by deceivers is to continue walking in the truth. You can't just say, well, yes, that's what I know is true. You have to say, no, that's what I'm living out as truth. Living consistent with what we agree to is part of vigilance. Maybe these false teachers, like we saw in 1 John, were denying his humanity. I think sometimes, and perhaps even here, there's the error to affirm the truth. Hmm. There's the error of denial, but there's the error of failing to affirm. Do you see the difference? How subtle this can be. So there's the error which denies the doctrine of Christ. Say, I don't believe Jesus was fully God. I don't believe Jesus was fully man. I don't believe that he died on the cross and that, that redeemed us. You know, they can deny the doctrine. But there's also an error which, which does not affirm it. Notice he calls them deceivers not once but twice. So verse 7 at the beginning and then verse 7 again at the end. So one way to deceive is to fail to affirm the truth or to fail to deny error. So deceivers dodge. Their words are slippery. They're hard to point down. I don't think John has in mind, you or I, if we've not worked out personally every doctrine, that doesn't mean you're a false teacher. But there are some who cannot, they will not affirm the truth publicly. Such a one may very well be deceptive. Look at the, again at the end of verse 7. He calls them Antichrist. We ran into this in 1 John. I don't think he's uh, saying that they're identical with or identifying them with the Antichrist of the end times. But here he's saying, no, there, there's a spirit here that's divisive and deceptive. 
and we're going to see it then from outside of the church, but right now it can be found sometimes coming from within the church. So the Antichrist, this political figure during the tribulation, will be a deceiver. And John is saying, my opponents that were in the church and have left the church and are trying to influence the church under the banner of Christianity, claiming the name of Christ, though they do not have right doctrine and so do not have Christ, are of the same deceptive, divisive spirit. So they are to be opposed Strongly, Notice the call for vigilance there in verse 8. Right? Faith is at stake. I think that's what he's saying. Verse 8, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Be vigilant. As a church, be vigilant. Pay close attention. What are the reasons he gives? So that you may not lose what we have worked for. Probably a reference to their faith in Christ and the apostolic truth that he has taught. What is this reward? I think it's eternal life. This is how one commentator pulled it together. The elder has worked to make known the truth of Christ to them so that they might know God and have eternal life. Look at verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead, may that never be described of our doctrine. And does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So religious relativism won't cut it. It just won't. John says it matters what you believe. And if you don't remain in, abide in, if you run on ahead, if you add to the truth of the Bible, you don't have God. You don't have eternal life. No matter what banner you may wave, no matter what description you may have still for yourself. Abiding in the truth is absolutely essential. Look at verse 9. Everyone who does, who goes on and does not abide in the truth does not have God. Whoever abides in the truth has both the Father and the Son. Should be no novelty. And it seems that he's implying what Paul teaches explicitly, which is going on ahead necessarily results in not abiding in. You add to and you don't improve, you lose the gospel. Do you see that? Gospel plus equals no gospel. You add to and you do not improve, you actually subtract. You lose the gospel itself. Abiding in the truth is essential. Again, the implication which we've seen already in 1 John is that knowing isn't enough. Having known isn't enough. Past affirmation isn't enough. Continually abiding is required. This is the exhortation. He's exhorting them. Resist the pressure of deceivers. And abide, remain, continue in the teaching of Christ. God wants you to know that you know Jesus. That you know the truth. That you know the Father. 
He's given reasons for confidence in life and death. This is the reason why he wrote his first letter. We saw this last week, 1 John 5.13. So it is here. Vigilance is the first defense. This is how the church is to be protected. Watch yourselves, verse 8. But there is a second defense that he gives in verses 10 and 11. It is separation. Here's what he says. Have no fellowship with. Do not greet those who do not abide in the truth about God. Look again at verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Verse 11. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. John knows those teachers were once in the the community and they've gone out. They went out from us because they were not of us. They'd been of us. They would have remained with us, he said in 1 John chapter 2. And he knows because they've gone out and they're still influencing believers that have remained, those who have the truth, saw this back in 1 John chapter 2, they might come back, he says. So if they come to you, test the teaching first. Is it in accord with what I've taught you, what the apostles have taught you concerning the person of Christ? If it isn't, don't receive them. He says, into your house. Again, could be a reference to hospitality. Hospitality served a much more important role in the first century than it does today, though it's still important today. You couldn't say, hey, I'm going to travel to another community. I'll, I'll just jump on Priceline, book a hotel, and when I arrive, they'll know my name. There were some inns, for sure. We know this from Jesus' birth. But not all of those had a great reputation. So often, you would stay with other Christians. And to stay with them would be for them to give you approval in that community amongst their friends. There was a kind of uh, implicit approval that you would provide for those who were your guests. For a time. It could be referring not so much to hospitality, but hosting in the context of a local church. So platforming, we might say. So he's warning this local church, the elect lady and her children, to not receive heretical teachers into the assembly. Of course, there could be a combination of of both going on, especially because churches met in homes. So maybe we don't have to choose. But we have to see that to have someone in this kind of hospitality was to to say, yes, they're one of us. There's a brother or sister in Christ. And then to give a greeting. Notice the greeting he gave back in verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us. The greeting carried a recognition of Christian standing. So we, we don't do this, but what we kind of do, right? So when I, when I write emails, I usually sign them warmly. Uh, a, a friend of mine's wife told him, and he told me, that that sounds very old man. So if you've gotten an email and it says from warmly Ross, just know I'm, I'm just an old man, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I still like it. It's, I think it's, it's warm, right? So... But I've also signed emails, your brother in Christ. That's what's going on here. It says you can't say that if if they've proven they're not your brother in Christ. You can't just throw around this. 
Like it's kind of a social thing. There's a recognition that comes with such greetings. These teachers no longer had that standing. They had gone out from, and he's warning them against. He said, you can't, you can't just welcome them in like they're, like they're one of you. You can't just greet them like they're, they're still one of you. Think of Paul's warning in Romans 16. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have taught. Avoid them. Avoid them. So unity of doctrine alone creates fellowship and sustains fellowship. So calls for fellowship or unity when there's nothing that we share in common is is just a fool's errand. And John says, don't receive him. Because if you do, it would be like lying, right? It'd be like acting like one has unity and fellowship when one simply doesn't. To act like that with someone who is not a Christian, though they're waving the banner of, I'm a Christian, is to be deceived. But it's more than that. Not only is pursuing so-called fellowship with false teachers to be deceived, but it also risks deceiving others. It muddies the whole thing, right? You are deceived, but then others are deceived when they're welcomed, when they're greeted, when they're platformed. So we should be careful who we fellowship with. That is, we should be mindful of who we really already have fellowship with. That is, we should understand that this doctrine is an important one. This doctrine of separation is vital for fidelity, for faithfulness. Vigilance alone isn't enough. Separation from those who claim to be Christian, but deny essential doctrines is absolutely essential. But here's the issue. And this is where it gets so difficult. There are Christians for whom they will not separate over anything. If you call yourself a Christian and you seem well-intentioned, they are happy to do anything with you. And there are Christians who will separate over everything. They're the last faithful holdout. They don't fellowship with other churches. They're not open to other churches. I only, I am left. If you don't believe them, just ask them. They'll tell you they're the only ones left. So we need a lot of wisdom to not be reactionary. To say, okay, yeah, we're not going to... We're not going to partake in every good Christian endeavor that's well-intended in our community because it it may not actually be good. Nor are we going to say, man, every hill is a hill to die on. So a faithful Christian is an angry Christian. Are you angry? No, no. We need wisdom to navigate, to say, okay, we, we need to do some triage. Right? Is this essential or is this not essential? Do you need to believe this to be a Christian? Well, we better be willing. That's a fundamental. We better be willing to die for that one. Do we need to agree on it in order to do church together? Well, that's important, isn't it? I I have some brothers and sisters in Christ who are in different denominations. 
who believe different things about baptism that I am sure I'm going to spend eternity with. I can't do local church with them. You're either going to baptize your babies or you're not, right? I can think they're wrong, but I can think, I think I'm going to spend eternity with them. They have the gospel, right? And then there's this other category that I think some Christians don't, they just fail to have, which is, it's actually a wonderful thing for us to be able to disagree on that and still do local church together. It's, it's unity. It's not uniformity. So it's not, I've never found a hill worth dying on, nor is it every hill is worth dying on. It takes wisdom, doesn't it? To get, to get this right. But we need to be reminded this morning from Second John that essential to that is two things. A willingness to be vigilant and a willingness to, at times, when necessary, to separate. May we never lose either of those things. Because we want to be a community marked by what? Truth and love. But he doesn't end on that note. We want to end where he ends in verses 12 and 13. The tone shifts now to the other side of the coin. And he encourages them, and by extension he encourages us to enjoy Note the language again. Enjoy fellowship. Greet those who abide in the truth. Look how he ends his letter. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Man, I'm happy to keep firing off these letters. Send them your way. He's got a third letter coming. We're going to look at that in two weeks. I don't want to write emails. Text messages aren't doing it. I don't want to FaceTime you. I don't want to hop on a Zoom call. I want to see you. I want to be with you. I want to visit you. I want want to be face to face. He talked about this in his first letter. He longs for fellowship with these Christians so that it might complete his and their joy. So that's what we have here, this, this strong connection. True fellowship amongst Christians and joy are strongly connected in John's mind. They were in 1 John. They are here again in 2 John. The completion of the Christian's joy happens in the context of fellowship. What a, what a way to commend true fellowship, right? You want to know joy in the Christian life, you need to pursue and learn to love fellowship. And then he closes by doing something that we ought not to do with false teachers. He He ends with another greeting. True believers and the true gospel concerning concerning the true Christ is found in the Bible. God's true holy word are truly family. We have so much in common. And eternity awaits. We have God, the Father. We have his Son. And we have eternal life. I'll ask the men to head to the back as we prepare to observe the Lord's table. As they do that, let me remind you of what we've seen here in this letter. May we as a local church be centered around truth and love. Let's not pick. Let's not be told we need to pick. Let's not be known by one to the neglect, for one to the neglect of the other. May we love the truth and may we love others with the truth. And may the local church be reminded, may we be reminded that we are protected by these two defenses, both vigilance and, at times, when necessary, separation. One of the ways that the Lord intends for us 
to be reminded of the truth is through regularly gathering around a common table, the communion table. This isn't just an individual act, but this is something we do together as a local church. It reminds us of God's love, for sure, on display in the cross of Christ, yes. But it also reminds us of the us and the we, of the you all that's at the the foundation of the Christian life. It reminds us of the call that we have to love one another. We, as a church, as we gather around this table, we don't require or ask that you be a member of this church, but we do ask that you be a believer uh, in good standing at a church that preaches the same gospel uh, that we proclaim and love and hold to here. If that's you, we'd welcome you to to the table. If that's not you, use this time uh, as an opportunity to quietly reflect on the truths that we've sung and you've heard preached. I want to encourage us all to examine ourselves now as we come to the table. As the men come forward, let us lead us. Let me lead us in prayer. Father God, we thank you that your word reminds us in a culture that has forgotten it. That there can be no true love apart from the truth. The truth is revealed in nature, but ultimately the truth is revealed in your word. So help us to be truly loving because we are truth people. Help us not to be truth people and so feel like we can neglect to love. Father, help us to remind ourselves as a church that we must be vigilant. We, We must remember that the threat may actually come from within or even from those from without who call themselves Christian. I pray that we would carry this vigilance not just in our gatherings, but into our homes, into what we watch, who we listen to, what we read. Father, we thank you that you remind us to be vigilant, that you remind us of who we can give recognition to and who we must separate from. And Father, we pray that even as we gather around this communion table, that we would be reminded of the joy of fellowship. Because we look, we bear his name as Christians. We're reminded of your love on full display through the cross. And so we gather, we remember, and we, even by partaking, affirm again the truth of the gospel. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name.